The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. Um, My name is Justin. I'm the... One of the pastors here at Sacred City Church, I do want to welcome you here this morning. Um, I apologize uh, that it's a little warm in here. If you know me, you know I do not like warm. I do not do warm very well. Um, it's the toughest crowd to preach to in the world is a, is a hot crowd because it's nap time for most people. Um, what, what happened is uh, the city of Davenport actually owns this bi- bi- uh, building and they do not allow people to turn the air conditioner on for another two weeks. So that's the budget. That's the budget. So it's a little warm for March. We all know that. So we can't turn the air on until I think hopefully next week or, or possibly the, the week after. So I do apologize for that. Um, also, I don't know if you're, if you're like me, but about two years ago, for some reason, I don't know what, it's just the weight of sin or what, but all of a sudden I got allergies. And um, this year has been... Uh, I'm just going to say from the devil, okay? This last week's been amazing outside, but I have not slept well. I've got all kind of sinus and allergy stuff going on. So I'm praying I don't have a hacking fit uh, in the middle of this sermon. If I do, I completely apologize. And um, Tyler, you might have to do some editing on the podcast, but uh, it it very well might happen. Um, One thing I do want to point out that I haven't put on, I didn't put on your little flyer that you got today. If you've got one of those announcement flyers, is we're going to have a Good Friday service. Um, the Good Friday service we're going to have right here on Friday night. Um, it's going to be called a service of shadows, if, you've, if you're familiar with that. So it will be a real, true Good Friday service. And what does that mean? It means um, there'll be no child care, but you can bring your kids. But it's going to be dark. It's going to be somber. It's going to be quiet. It's going to be um, introspective. It's going to be like Good Friday, which wasn't really that good. It didn't feel that good. Um, it's going to be very dark and it's going to be all about Christ's crucifixion and his death. And the beauty of it is you cut, you walk out of that service in complete silence, thinking about what Christ has done and with almost 
a hopeless feeling. And then you get to turn around and come back to, come back to gather with us on Sunday morning and, and get the good news and get the complete opposite where it's bright and it's light and it's full of hope and Christ is resurrected. So I wanted to put that on your radar so um, you could be aware of it. That's going to be Good Friday. And I think on the top of my head it's 6 o'clock is, is when it's coming out. And it'll be in the, your little bulletins uh, for next week. Um, so with that said, I'm going to go ahead and get started today. Father, we thank you for this weather. We thank you for your grace to us. Father, we are constantly reminded that we are finite, that we are sinful, that our bodies are breaking down, that they will not last forever on this earth in this form. But through your death and resurrection of your son, you purchased for us eternal bodies. That the new creation is coming. That the kingdom of God is coming. Father, that is good news to us. That we're constantly bombarded with images and idolatries of this day and age. To live for technology. To live for vanity. To live for clothing. To live for jobs and money and security and comfort. And you remind us today on this Gorgeous Sunday morning, you remind us that all those things will fade away. All the money we have in our bank will fade away. All the beautiful things that we own will rust and fade away. But we have an eternal inheritance in you. We have something in you through your spirit that will go on forever. And I pray today through the preaching of your word, through the declaration of the gospel, that you would allow people to have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to believe that you would grant repentance in this room where we've walked away from you and we've turned from you and we try to follow our own path. That you would grant repentance to us. That we are great sinners in need of an even greater Savior. And you are our Savior, Jesus Christ. Pray that you would be with me today in my weakness, that you would uh, be bold, that you would be here in power, that your spirit would move in Jesus' name. Amen. So after, we've spent six weeks now in this passage. Six weeks in most, uh, in a passage where most preachers and most churches fly right through to get past as soon as possible because the word submit is not a very helpful word if you want to gather a crowd in today and in today's day and age. Um, we spent six weeks here wanting to show us and communicate to us uh, the divine reality that God has given us in marriage. And for single people and for married people alike, what is the point of marriage? Where it's, what's it headed? Um, and we just really have broken it apart. So we've seen a lot of things. We've seen that marriage is meant to be the most important relationship in our life. Uh, that it's meant to be primarily built on a friendship, not on romance, but it's friendship, we said, spiked with romance. And that this relationship is a covenant relationship. All right? It's meant till death do us part. It's a promise that says, I will be there for you in the future. I will be loving towards you in the future. Not, I promise to faint and swoon every time I see you. And I promise to feel this way about you. I promise to behave this way. I promise to be there. 
It's a commitment. It's a covenant. We also saw how marriage is a tool in the hand of God to shape us into the type of people that God has already made us into, but we're becoming. All right, God's already made us into this new creation, but the outward needs to be shaped into that. Marriage is a tool in the hand of God to do that. Now, after all of this, okay, there's a lot there. We talked about how the chief problem with marriage, oh man, it's so much cooler right here. Uh, Talked about the chief problem in marriage is what? Self-centeredness, selfishness, the chief problem. And not just single people, just you're going to have to interpret this a little bit. Not just in marriage, but in all of your relationships. The reason you can't get along with people is your self-centeredness and that person's self-centeredness at war with each other. Self-centeredness is the problem of all relationships. And now, after talking about all these things, it's finally time for me to throw my body on the barbed wire of verse 22. Okay? This is a grenade that I will jump on. Okay? Verse 22, if you want to open up your Bibles and look there, that's where we're at today. Chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. All right. Let's just talk about it. We got to go there. We got to, we've been on it six weeks. I finally got to get it. What does this mean? What does submit mean? What does submission mean? What do these different roles in marriage look like? What does this mean for us? Okay. Um, we learned last week that men and women were created equal, but not identical. That we were created in the image of the Trinity by community and for community. We were built, created, designed with designed deficits. I lack in certain areas where my wife can complete me. Males lack in certain areas where females can complete them and vice versa. But what does this mean? All right, so today we're kind of coming where the rubber meets the road. All right, Justin, you've managed managed to jump around and avoid this submission text for like six weeks. But now tell me, what does it mean? What does it mean to submit? Who do I have to submit to? How do I submit? What does this look like? How does a man lead? What does this look like? Now, first off, I want to tell you that we're going to spend two weeks on this, more than likely. And if you have um, an iPad or an iPod or an iPhone or a smartphone, and you've got our liturgy there through version, there's a question. Right there, there's a question, a spot where you can say, you can text, you can put in your question right there, and I'll get it, and I can answer that question next week. Because today, I'm just going to tell you right away, it's going to frustrate some of you. Um, our day and age, we are very pragmatic people in our culture. Pragmatic means just show, I don't care about theology. I don't care what, just tell me what to do. Just get, what does that look like? Just skip all that, you know, fluffy garbage and just give me what, what, I'm, what am I supposed to do? We were very pragmatic people. Wives say, just give me a list. 
Like, right? It's like it's cleaning the house or something. Just give me a list. Show me what a good wife is. And all right, let me do that. Men, just show me a list and I'll make it happen. I'll do it. All right, that's not the way the Bible works. The Bible is not primarily pragmatic. Number one, because it, listen to this. It's not, it's not a cultural document. It's actually a transcultural document. This word of God is meant to be translated across all time, across all cultures. If it would have gave us a list, this is brilliant if you think of it. This is a great apologetic of the truth of scripture. If the Bible would have gave us a list, this is what a good wife looks like. Boom, one through ten. This is what a good husband looks like. Boom, one through ten. Do that and you should live. If it would have gave us a great list, number one, that would have been entirely outdated today. Right? Ladies, go to the market, right? Make your own clothes. Do Like if there was that list, it would be completely outdated today. With all the technology and all the advances in society and all the stuff that we've had. But the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible gives us these big picture principles and theological truths that then we have to interpret and put them into our culture. That's why the Trinity is not some big picture theological thing that maybe some people need to know. If you don't understand the Trinity, your relationships will continually be broken. Because you don't understand how to function within that type of mutually submissive submissive relationship. Our church is built on this principle. I am um, the, what's what we call the chief among equals when it comes to elders. Okay. I will never be the sole guy running this church will never happen. Okay. This is not a top down structure. Rich, who's a pastor and he's, he's going to be an elder by this summer. He's in the process of becoming an elder. He'll be an elder by this summer. We are co-leaders. Okay. I am, I have the, I do have the final say, but we are equal when it comes. Our elders are equal. It's a team approach. It's a spread leadership approach. It's a biblical approach. All right. I don't get to just say, this is what we're doing and everybody gets on board. It's the same way in our relationships. It's the same way with submission. It's the same way in marriages. My voice is already getting a little scratchy. It's all right. My wife thinks it's sexy. So, we're going to go there today. We're going to talk about it. So those, but those of you who are out there and you're saying, Justin, just tell me what to do. I can't do that today. I'll give you some bits and pieces. I'll give you some pictures of it. But I can't, I can't just give it to you like that because that's not the way the Bible gives it to us. Okay? It's big picture stuff that we have to interpret. So number one, the first rule of interpreting scripture, the first rule of going to the Bible is this. I'm gonna just, I've told you this before. The Bible is written for us, but it was not written to us. Okay? It's intercultural, but it was written each section of the Bible, in a different culture and time. So for us to properly understand what Paul is trying to communicate to the church here, in Ephesians chapter 5, we need to know a little bit about the context. We need to know a little bit about the culture. Okay, so I'm going to do that. Paul is writing roughly 2,000 years ago to an Eastern culture who view women as property without any rights. They couldn't vote. They couldn't get an education. Most of them could not read. Not all of them, but most women could not read. 
With that said, the view that Paul gives from the Holy Spirit on marriage is radically countercultural in his day and age. All right. Basically, I'm just going to I'm going to blanket make some blanket statements. The gospel and the Bible is either one of two things, depending upon what type of culture you live in. Number one, the, the, the gospel is radically subversive and radically countercultural as far as looks almost liberal in Eastern cultures, especially 2000 years ago. And even today, the gospel and the, and the view of man and woman through scripture in China is radically subversive. Because the, the China says the government tells you what man and woman should look like. It's very top down. It's very uh, man over woman. Women are still seen as property. And the gospel and the, and the Bible and the biblical view of marriage looks radical to them. Or in our culture, which is a Western culture, the Bible looks totally conservative. The Bible looks totally um, constraining, constricting. It looks just old and and, and outdated. And the Bible is completely above all cultures and all times. So I want you to see this. When we hear these words today, we're like, we gasp because submit, a woman is supposed to submit to a man, maybe 50 years ago. But if I'm preaching the same gospel in China, all right, and I say, when it says, men, love your wives as Christ did the church, all the women go, and the men go, <gasps> because that's radically subversive to their culture. Men don't love their wives. They marry for status. They marry to get stuff done. They marry for procreation. They marry for anything but love. So the Bible is above all culture. There is no perfect culture. We don't live in a, a, you know, a Christian culture. No matter how people like to say that, we do not live in a Christian culture. There's never been a Christian culture. There never will be until Christ comes back and rules over all culture. <clears throat> so, men and women, first, you know, we see in verse 21, men and women should submit to one another. They should be best friends. A man should love his wife. These are very countercultural and radical statements for Eastern cultures, very conservative cultures. Okay, very radical. And I understand they aren't to us, but we cannot assume. Now listen, this is what we do. We're built to be interpreters. We do it automatically. So we come to the Bible with our cultural assumptions and we assume they're better than back then. We assume that because we're Western and we're progressive and we're postmodern and we're all these things that we are somehow more enlightened than this culture was. And we should question that. We should definitely question that. Why? Well, let's just take some statistics. It's been six weeks and I haven't quoted any marriage statistics. That's an accomplishment when a preacher is preaching on marriage. Okay? But I'm going to have to drop them right now. Over 50% of all marriages end in divorce. And Jesus says, I hate divorce. He hates it. That's strong language from the Prince of Peace, right? Very strong language. Now, there are some um, biblically appropriate reasons for divorce. There are some of those. Um, Abuse, 
adultery. There are some, uh, there are some other, you know, someone takes off and leaves. There, there are some biblically appropriate ways, but the majority of our divorces come from self-centeredness. He won't do what I want him to do. She won't do what she wants to do. We can't, we can't, we're not in a community where people can challenge us. People can call us out on our, our sins and we don't want to work through it. We don't want to submit to one another out of love and out of reverence for Christ. So we're just going to move on. Because of this, listen to this. According to David Papineau, a professor of sociology at Rutgers University. Listen to this. In 1960, 17% of the children in America went to bed at night without their natural father at home. 1960, okay? 50 years ago, 17%. Today, over 40%, over 40% of all children will go to bed tonight without their natural father at home. These children, now these are just statistics. Now, and I don't want you to feel judged by them. If you're a single mom and, and you've made some of these decisions and you're lacking the father at home, I don't want you to feel judged by these, but these are statistics, all right? Children without a father at home are two to three times more likely to be juvenile delinquents have teenage pregnancies and experience bad marriages themselves when they become adults. Two to three times. Two to three times more likely. The majority of all inmates in prison come from fatherless homes. In the African American community, this number is almost 80%. 80% of all homes are without the father. Fatherlessness, fatherlessness is the epidemic that's destroying our nation. In a popular movie and book that I can't recommend because of some of the content, but called Fight Club, um, actor Brad Pitt says this, if our fathers are our models for God, what does that tell you about God? If our fathers are our models for God, what does that tell you about God? Now, I believe the actor is using the mirror of fatherhood in the wrong direction. He's saying our fathers are showing us what God is like. And I think that's true on a human level. I think many of us relate to God the same way we relate to our father. If our father walked out on us, if our father abandoned us, if our father was distant and cruel, if our father was legalistic and rule-based, if our father didn't show us affection, we see our heavenly father the same way. But that's not how we were created. The mirror is supposed to go in the opposite direction. The way my father, the way I see the heavenly father, that's how I define fatherhood. How does God father me? That's how I father my kids or how I should father my kids. How is God a man to me? That's how I'm a man to my spouse. How is God a spouse to me? That's the way I'm a spouse to my wife. That's how the mirror is supposed to work. <clears throat> to, ba- to break it down, this is pretty much what Paul is showing us here in Ephesians chapter 5. He's telling us <clears throat> being male or female is overlapping but not identical ways of being human and relating to God. 
being male and female, are identical and overlapping, or not identical, but overlapping ways of being human and relating to God. I want to look at the text here. You're going to notice, I want you to notice some, some good things. Let's go, let's start with 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Listen, if you don't have a Bible, we've got five or six in the back. When I preach through the word, I want you to have a Bible open and in your hand. You need to be engaging your eyes. You need to be engaging your mind. You need to be reading along, going with you. Because listen, part of what I'm doing up here, I'm not just giving you information. I'm trying to teach you how to read the Bible. Trying to teach you how to exegete. Exegete means what we just did. Go back into the culture and see what is Paul trying to tell us back 2,000 years ago. I want to teach you how to do that. So I want you to see this with me. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, first off, I want you to see this. In verse 21, we're both submit to each other. But now, in 23 and 24, wives are specifically told to submit to their husbands. What does that mean? Submit. That's what it means. Okay, we're just gonna, we'll, we'll leave it right there for right now. Verse 24, well, what do I submit in? Verse 24, wives should submit in everything, in everything to their husbands. Now, don't freak out on me. We're going to talk about that. 25, husbands, look at this. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So right here, men, you're being told to do something that the wives are not being told to do. You're being told to love your wife. You're being told to wash your wife with scripture. So men, you're being told you better memorize scripture. You better know scripture. You better work in the process with the Holy Spirit of sanctifying your wife. It's your job to bring her before the word of God. It's your job to bring the word of God before her. It's your job to make sure she's reading and praying and in communion with the father. That's part of your responsibility. It's your responsibility to love your wife. Weird. It tells the the man to love the wife to submit. Let's keep reading. Verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. If all the married people should say amen to that. This mystery is profound. And actually the word, it's actually not mystery is profound. The best way to say it, it's literally a conjunction of a word. It's mega mysterion. That's the Greek. It's a mega mystery. And I agree with that. <clears throat> and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. But look, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself. <coughs> and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Paul is telling us here that male and female have different roles. They're equal, but not equivalent. Does that mean women does I mean, right there, we just saw 
Men, love your wives. Women, submit. Women, respect your husbands. Men, love your wives. Does that mean women don't need to love their husband? No. Why isn't Paul telling women to love their husbands? Because it's natural for them. They've been designed that way. They've been created. It's easy for them. It's easy in their career. Why do they tell a woman? Why does he tell a woman to respect her husband? <laughs> because it's not easy, right? Why does it tell men to love your wives? Because men naturally love other things more than relationships. And we're going to get to that in a second. Last week, we uh, took a look at Genesis because this is quoting from Genesis. And we saw, listen, from the order of creation that men were created to lead and initiate and women were, were created to help and to nurture. To help and to nurture. <clears throat> the man leads, the wife receives. We see this. Now listen, just think about creation right now. We see this. In sex. We see this in the human body through intercourse. The man leads, the wife receives. This is where things get really interesting. <coughs> okay, we see this in the physical. But is there a maleness that extends past the sexual into the soul? Is there a femaleness that extends past sexual, past biology, and into the soul. Another way to say that is this. Is there a way that men should go out and towards their wives emotionally and relationally? And is there a way in which women want and desire to receive her husband emotionally and relationally the same way she does in sex? That the man emotionally, relationally should go after and pursue intimacy with his wife and relationally, relational intimacy and emotional intimacy. And the wife desires to receive that. Now, some of us, if you grew up in kind of a Christian culture, you might be going, yeah, 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 this sounds right, this sounds right. But if you grew up in the world, if you grew up just in our, you know, um, saturated in the milieu of our culture... This is going to be radically offensive to you because we've been working for decades for equality. We've been working for decades. And I'm not talking about voters, right? And all those, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, we've been working for equivalence. Men and women are the same. And that's absolutely not true. In the past 20 years, the, the research has been overwhelming that this is not true. That men and women biologically are different. And I, I'm going to quote some of this. Listen to this. Annie Moore, a PhD and author of the book Brain Sex, says this. Um, now, she's coming from a biological point of view. She's just a doctor. She's talking about differences in the brain and the way men and women receive things. All right. This, is, this goes past the brain and into the soul. Now, listen to this. Men are different from women. This is secular here. They are equal only in their common membership of the same species, humankind. To maintain that they are the same in aptitude, 
skill, or behavior is to build a society based on a biological and scientific lie. The sexes are different because their brains are different. The brain, the chief administrative and emotional organ of life, is differently constructed in men and in women. It processes information in a different way, which results in different perceptions, different priorities, and different behaviors. In the past 10 years, there has been an explosion of scientific research into what makes the the sexes different. Doctors, scientists, psychologists, and sociologists working apart have produced a body of finding which, taken together, paints a remarkably consistent picture. And the picture is one of startling sexual asymmetry. We're different at birth. Now listen, this is some of the research. And you can look this up at home. It's, it, can go, it goes on and on. The research is very extensive. But these are some of the ones I found uh, really interesting. At birth, right away, girls are far more sensitive to touch than boys. Far more sensitive to touch than boys. At birth, girls are far more sensitive to soft, soothing words. So when you look at it, they literally had the baby's brain hooked up to electrodes. And when you speak, you know, baby talk to a girl, her brain activity sparks and increases right away. A boy's stays the same. Yeah, whatever. Right? Stays the same. This this is one of the coolest ones. All right, if you like jazz music, all right, boys respond, have no response to jazz music. Girls' brain lights up with jazz music. Why? Because jazz music's all over the place. There's no, like, point. There's no, like, beginning and end, really. It's just, you can play jazz, like, for 18 hours a day, all right? There's no end. And the guys are like, nah, uh not really my thing right now. But the girls, their brain lights up with jazz. Um, girls, they, they put... Uh, they had these, these toddlers look through these lenses, and in one lens they had things, and one lens they had people. When the girls looked through there, and the, people, and the, and the, the, the tester said, what did you see? The girls named the people. The boys named the stuff. Girls are naturally, biologically, I'm going to say by creation, more relationally oriented than boys. This is one of my favorites too. When the, when, the, when the researchers with toddlers, when they placed an obstacle between the kids and mom and they could still see mom, right? They could still, they could see mom, but they placed an obstacle in their way. Now, no offense, ladies, but the girls would look and they couldn't find a way around and they would stand in the floor and cry. All right? The boys would go over, would try to find, they would say they would go on these little scavengers and try to go, or scavenger hunts and try to go around. They would, they would go to the, to the end of it and see if there's another way around this thing. They would explore. They would try to find a way to get over. Now, I see this with my own kids. I've had one boy and one girl. Javin, um, I don't know what it was, but by six months, whenever he could stand, literally, he was crawling out of his crib. I mean, I thought it was really cool. I'm like, yeah, that's my boy. I, I walk in there and he's got his, he's six months old. He's got his leg over the top of the crib, right? He would literally go whoop, drop and he would hang and he couldn't reach the floor. He would hang there and then whoop, drop. 
And I'm like, oh, that is awesome. My daughter, my daughter is two and the side of the crib has been taken off and she still won't get out of bed. She'll lay there and cry until we come get her out of the bed. Literally. And it's just, it's just been, it's been crazy. One, another thing that I've seen with my, my kids, I don't know if this has anything to do with research, but Javin was fascinated by technology right away. My remotes, my controllers, my phone, my iPad, always. And he knew it right away. My daughter could care less. The only time she wants it is when he's got it, right? She is not that fascinated with technology. Now, there's a ton of research on this, but it still seems to be relatively unknown. Even in the corporate world, if you give an equally competent woman and man the same job and goals... They will accomplish those goals in entirely different ways. Now, I want you to hear this. I'm not saying men are leaders and women don't know how to lead. That's not what I'm saying. Men are built to be leaders and they lead in a different way that women lead. They have different roles. Women are interdependent, relationally oriented. Men tend to be independent. And this is because there's a different calling and giftedness for men and women. Listen to this. Women tend to achieve in order to nurture. Men nurture in order to achieve. If I got to nurture, I'll nurture. I don't really want to, but I got to help this guy get to the next level so I can achieve. So I'll nurture in order to achieve. Women achieve in order to nurture. Now listen, I, I realize I'm painting with a very broad brush. This is by creation. Our culture has shaped us. If you had a weak father, if you had a, uh, a weak mother, an overbearing mother, an overbearing father, all these things can affect us. All these things can change uh, and can bend us a little bit. But we're talking about creation. So before we get ahead of ourselves, <clears throat> I want you to know that this is totally not stereotypical. I really want to get that. Um, this is not the conservative evangelical um, agenda of men go out and work and the wife wear long skirts and stay at home, take care of the kids and they can't have a job. And it's not that. Okay, this don't hear me saying that. That's not what the Bible teaches. One of the most telling passages in all of scripture over a wife um, who fears the Lord in Proverbs 31, uh, 10, 10 and on This woman who fears the Lord has a job. She takes food to the market every day. She takes care of the kids. She takes care of the home. She buys and sells property. That was unheard of in that day and age. Radically, radically liberal, radically liberal point of view. Okay. She's got a lot of different rights. She's speaking to her husband. Her husband is respecting her and listening to her opinion. She's leading her family. I want you to hear, this is not stereotypical. Stereotypes are created from our sinful reactions to our roles. The industrial age changed our view of the traditional family. The industrial age, do you hear that? It's a modern conception. Before the industrial age, we didn't have to leave our homes to work. Or we would leave our homes, we'd step outside of them and there's the field. There's the blacksmith shop. There's the cobbler shop. There's, my job is right there with my home. The kids are with dad all day long. Go out and help dad. They're not playing video games. They're helping dad work. 
right? Then they're back in the house helping mom. Mom would help dad in the shop. She would go sell things. She'd come back. That's how it was. But when the industrial age happened, right? The industrialization, men had to leave their homes now and they started working in factories. They started working in, you know, the coal mine. They started working in these places where they were away from home from extended periods of time. Again, a cultural change. So, men and women are created different but equal. And this is where you're going to hate me. Each couple, I'm going to kill myself on that. Each couple is responsible to God for working this out yourself. Things you cannot change, men lead and initiate. Wife receives and nurtures. How is that going to look for you? I know you want me to tell you how to do it, but I can't. You're going to have to work it out in the context of your relationship, listening to the Spirit of God, talking to your community about it, seeking wisdom and seeking counsel. You are, you are responsible, mother and father, for the upbringing and the raising and the rearing of your children. You cannot push that off to the state. You cannot push that off to the babysitter. You cannot push that off to daycare. That is your responsibility. You are the primary shaper of their soul. So who's going to take care of the kids? Who's going to stay home? Work that out. Men, if you want to come down hard on this, and you think that, you know, a lot of guys look at me, and I'm, you know, we kind of fit the natural roles. I'm a stronger leader type. Amanda's a quieter, more gentle, nurturing type of woman. So they think, oh, we have these same roles. Men, I've been washing dishes since we were dating. Okay? I don't come home, put my feet up, and say, woman, get me a beer. I don't get to do that. I've been doing dishes every, nearly every day for over nine years. I help with that. When, guess what? Saturday morning comes around, I'm washing toilets. All right? I'm serving my wife in that way. I'm serving my missional community in that way too, actually. <clears throat> this is, you can't, you have these mentalities. You have these Things where you think this is what the man does, this is what the woman does. You got to erase that. That's culturally based. That's culturally biased. You need, if you want a marriage that sings, if you want a marriage that that works well, if you want a marriage that points people to the gospel and that you don't fight constantly, you've got to have these tough conversations. What does it look like? Who pays the bills? For us, I paid the bills. And then Amanda, when we had our first child, Amanda stayed at home, wanted to stay at home with the kids. So I said, crap, okay, I got to make more money. I got to go, go to work. I got to do, you know, pay off debt. I got to do this stuff. So when she started staying home, she took over the finances. All right, we're in a transition right now. We're about to have our third baby. My wife's getting a little overwhelmed. So I'm saying, okay, give me back the finances. I'm going to take that back, that responsibility. I'm going to take that back on. There is no woman. None of that. If you, that's so, that's foolish. Man, if you do that, I asked my wife last night when I was preparing and I said, babe, how many times have I used the submission card? She says, never. She laughed about it. And I was like, well, thank God. I was like, good. Cause I want to be able to say that tomorrow. <laughs> I don't remember ever using it, but I don't have a very good memory at all. I know guys who've been married for a month 
and they're throwing the submission card on the table. If you're doing that, you're failing to lead her. You're failing to lay your life down so she wants to follow you. Submission is not something you make happen. It's something you earn. Lay your life down for her like Christ does the church and she'll want to follow. Now, still, she still has her own sin to deal with. She still has her own rebellion to deal with. She's not going to skip through the tulips and say, Yay, I get to submit to my husband today. Can't wait for that to happen. <clears throat> now, listen, I want you to see we're doing our exegetical work in this text. Paul is not arguing from culture. What? I thought you just said he's in, he's in culture, but his argument is not based on cultural items. Listen, he says this. How does he base his argument? What's the truth he goes back to? He goes back to Genesis chapter 2, creation. His argument is based in creation. So if you hear these, I'm just going to say, if you hear liberal preachers say, oh, submission's out of date. We don't do that anymore. That's a cultural institution. Wrong. If Paul said this, hey, this is what we do. Now, now you know, in our culture, men need to lead women and women need to submit. And this is the way we do things. If his argument was based on the culture, then they're right. We could throw that out. He does have some arguments based on that. Head coverings. Uh, some different times women are told to be quiet in church. He, his arguments are based in the cultural. They were uneducated, so they should not speak. Okay. Those were arguments based in the culture. This argument is solely based in creation because Adam came first because Adam was created by God and out of the side of man, he created Eve. Man is the head. What does that mean? This head, the word head means source. It's like the head of a river. It's authority. It's responsibility. Out of Adam comes Eve, like the head of a river, and then many streams flow out of the head of a river. The same way. Wives and women find their source in man. She was taking out of the side of man. We talked a little bit about this last week, how what's more important, the head or the body, right? Neither, right? They're both equally important. They're just different. <clears throat> So ladies, Paul is saying, wives, submit to your husbands, not because they're great leaders, but, is that, but that is how you are created to function. And he says this, submit to your husbands as unto Christ. By submitting to your husband, you're submitting to Jesus. You're taking the position of Jesus. Now this is where... Why did God do this? Why did God do this crazy stuff? This is where we were created to flourish. We're designed with these design deficits and they were meant to cause us to flourish, that we could work together for one goal and where I was weak, she could be strong and where she's weak, I could be strong and we're meant to flourish together. But we know what happens, right? In the garden, sin enters the picture, right? Sin enters the picture and creation is fractured. Now, what was meant for our good, what was meant to cause us to flourish, has now been a source of angst, a source of animosity. Now it's a source of idolatry. Now um, it, all kind of problems enter into creation. <clears throat> I want to remind you of one thing that, that happened to point us to these roles. Adam 
God creates Adam first. He parades all the animals in front of him. He says, all right, brother, this is what I want you to do. Name them. Name all these animals. Now, why would God do that? Was God out? Was he all out of names? Right? I can't think of any more. Here, you do it. Right? Was he tired? No, none of these things. God wanted, he was, he's showing us something about how man is created. He, you know, number one, names, especially back in, back in the day, names um, would really put a stamp of identity on people. You see through the Old Testament, when, when God changed someone's identity, he would change their name. Right? Jacob, he was a deceiver. And then when he had his, he had his moment with God where he wrestled, he wrestled God and God struck his hip, he said, no more, Jacob, now you're Israel. Chosen. Right? Abram, he gets a promise. He receives that promise by faith. Now you're Abraham, father of many nations. So when God is parading these animals in front of Adam, he's saying, I want you to take something wild. I want you to take something out there and I want you to tame it. I want you to name it. I want you to give identity to it. I want you to give order to it. All right? This is a part of what it means to be a man. This is why fatherless... Fatherlessness is such a huge problem in our culture. Men, you're made, you're created by God to name things. You're created by God to look at your daughter and say, you are a princess loved by God. You have my affection. You have the father's affection. You don't need a fool's affection when you turn 16. You are naming her. You are, you are giving her what the father has already given her, given her. But you are naming that identity. You are putting a name to it. This is why in the Old Testament, fathers would lay their hands on their sons and pronounce blessings to them. Men, that's your responsibility to your daughters, to your sons. This is who you are. You've grown up a fool. I know it, right? You've been a fool for 13 years, for 18 years. Hey, that's all right. But now this is who you are. You're a son of the, you're a son of the king. You are blessed. You have a spirit in you. You can do all things, right? There's all, you can pronounce that blessing. This is something men were created to do. We see it in the little boy who wants to climb over and wants to go around. He wants to tame the wild. He wants to conquer things. But in the next sentence, man does not find one that completes him. Right? So he knocks him out, creates woman out of his rib. God was telling Adam right here, you're not complete on your own. You're lacking something. So God created woman, which is a helper. And we talked about that last week. It means a strong helper. If you don't like the word helper, hey, they use it of God all through the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit is called our helper. So it's not a derogatory, derogative term at all. <clears throat> we talked, just, I just briefly touched on this last week. There's two basic ways. Like women were created to help created to nurture men. You're created to lead and initiate. There's two basic ways people can help. I talked about a little bit last week. You can help by enabling and empowering, or you can help by replacing. Women, you are created to help. You can create, you can help in two ways by enabling and, and, and empowering your husband or by trying to replace him. 
You were created to enable and empower him. To see his weaknesses and not jump in and do it yourself. But to lovingly, respectfully honor him and shape him and push him and prod him. You notice how in scripture, it does in that scripture in Ephesians, it never says women wash your husbands with the water of the word until he's fully sanctified. But it tells men to why? Oh man, there's never been a woman on the face of the planet that didn't see his weaknesses and tried to fix them. Honeymoon's happening. Why is that on the floor? What are you doing with your toothpaste? That's weird. You just, you know, like, all, like right, right away, she's trying to fix him. Right away, she's trying to shape him. Right away, she's trying to civilize him. Right away, she's trying to do these things. And hey, that you were created by God to do those things. Those are good things that you're doing. But the Bible doesn't tell you to do them because you're naturally doing them already. But the Bible has to tell men to do it. Men, get your eyes off your project. Put them on your wife. What did I just... Did you notice in the garden, when sin entered the picture, God curses different things for man and woman? They sin, right? They sin. They're separated from God. God says this, man, Adam, I'm cursing the ground. I'm cursing your work. You're going to be frustrated by it. The thing that you want to go to to find your identity, I'm going to frustrate it. It's going to be difficult. Men, is work easy? Is work easy? That's right. It's not easy. Do you sweat? Does your back hurt? Do you, can you produce less as you get older? It's a result of the curse. Listen, God cursed your work because that's not where you find your identity. You find your identity in him and it's also meant to turn us towards our wife. Wives, what did God curse? He cursed your body and he cursed your relationships. Women will have pain in childbirth. Women tend to idolize their figure, idolize their body, pain in childbirth. And you'll have a desire to rule over your husband, but he will rule over you. He cursed your relationship. You have a desire to run things. And he's saying, no, I'm going to frustrate that. You can't find your identity in your childbirth. You can't find your identity in your body. You can't find your identity in your husband. I'm going to curse that. I'm going to frustrate that. Ladies, is having babies easy? Huh? No, I didn't think so. So I was just making sure this was still culturally relevant today. I don't really know about this. Ladies, uh, how are your relationships going? They going real well? Yeah. There's a reason... You don't have relationship conferences with men. Because we'd go there and be like, what's up? What's up? Did you work out today? Yeah, cool. Me too, man. I'm super sore. Yeah. There's a reason relationship conferences are primarily for women, right? Your relationships, ladies, have been cursed. This is a, a result of creation. Okay? It's a result of creation. 
I love it, man. I love this stuff. The Bible is so far ahead of the culture on this. The research is showing the clear differences, but our culture is still believing the lie that boys and girls are the same. Some of them in our sick, sinful world, even performing sex changes on their children. I wanted a girl and it came out a boy, so I just changed him. Horrible, horrific. Every cell of our body is stamped XX or XY. We don't get to change that. Fools to think that we we can because we're an enlightened culture. Our culture has spent 40 years trying to get women to act like men in the workplace, sexually, the show Sex in the City, the whole thing is based on we want women to think of sex like men do. That's the whole thing. Words like promiscuous are out of our vocabulary. Now we have sexually active. Women who go to work in a male-dominated culture are forced to start acting like one of the boys. They have to learn to stuff their feelings, be independent, and rule over others. But that's not how they were created. So, in light of all that we've learned in the past six weeks. Now listen, this is not a standalone message. So if this is your first week here, you really do need to hear the last six weeks of sermons because this is, we've been building up to this. Because I know that, that roles can, can, seem, can seem offensive. can seem like you're placing me in a box. Men, I know, I don't, it doesn't matter how you were shaped by your upbringing. You have, no, you are the head. You are are the leader. You're a poor leader or you're a good leader. You don't get to choose, well, I'm just not very good at it, so my wife's going to do it. You're shaping your children. You're shaping your wife. We can't opt out of this. So after all that we've learned in the past six weeks, just what is submission? What is it? What is submission? It does not mean that the man makes all the decisions. It does not mean that the woman leaves her brain at the door. It does not mean that men rule over her. doesn't mean that. But when a decision needs to be made, and it's a tie, the man makes the call. Submission is a tie-breaking authority. That's what it is. Submission is a tie-breaking authority. So ladies, listen. I'm gonna, you're going to have a lot of questions on this, and you can put those questions in the version, and I'll answer them next week. If he's in sin, it's not submitting to his sin. If he's abusive, it's not submitting to his abuse. Okay? I want to clear that up right away. But if there's an iffy situation... Submission is, honey, I disagree, but I'm going to let you make that call and I'll support you in it. 
That's submission. And you were created to do it. And there will be a joy found in it, even though it sounds difficult. Ladies, let the husbands do it. Let the men do it. Make him make the call. If he says, honey, I don't know. You just, you tell me what to do. I don't really know. I don't want to make the... No, this is your job. This is your responsibility. You were created to lead and initiate. You make the call. Don't put that on me. You make the call. This is how you were created. Now listen, I, I tried to think up, you know, a personal example for this. And it was difficult for me too. I talked to Amanda about it. And the biggest decision that we've had to make, we've had to make plenty, but the biggest one was when, if you didn't know, Sacred City actually started about three years ago. Um, we reacted and we said, we're going we're gonna, to, let's just start the church right away. And we, we threw up a service and we started, we started gathering people on, on Wednesday nights and uh, we had this service. And then I wanted to be a part of the Acts 29 network. I felt God was leading me in that direction. So uh, we went away to an assessment. It's called a boot camp that they put uh, us through, future church planners and our wives through to really test our calling and see where our heart's at and see where we are, competence and character and all these things. And um, after this, this assessment, these brothers who I cherish and I love, and they're actually on our executive board now, um, they looked across the table and they said, Justin, we think it would be best for you to close the church down and, and come out and be a, a church planter in resident at an Acts 29 church. And then they gave us two other options that we could possibly do. We could do some like travel back and forth between places, or we could just stick it out on our own. And we left that interview and we said, uh, that assessment. And I said, there's no way I could do that. I have a hundred, there was 150 people at the time, a lot of teenagers and college students. I'm their shepherd. I'm their pastor. I can't just walk away from that. I can't do that. And they said, well, pray about it and think about it. And then we walked out and my wife said, uh, uh-uh, heck no. Oh, I have this little detail. My wife was eight months pregnant at the time. So she's, th- she's saying, we just got a new house. I'm, I'm in the middle of a construction project in the house. We've got one, we've got a son already who's two, about to be three. Um, She's eight months pregnant and they're wanting us to move. We've never lived outside the Quad Cities. All of our family's here and you want us to move. Hmm, no. How's that? And uh, I I tried to process this with Amanda last night um, because within 24 hours of that meeting, on the plane ride back, we looked at each other and we both said, we have to move. This is what God's calling us to do. We have to do it. So somehow, actually it's less than 24 hours. It's about tw- within 12 hours, we had went from, we're not, there's no way we can do this to there's no way we cannot do this. And I said, babe, what was, because I do not have a very good memory when it comes to that kind of stuff. My wife gets on me all the time. I can remember anything I read in like a book eight years ago, but I can't remember what happened to me six months ago. So I asked my wife, how did we come to that conclusion? And she's like, I don't even remember. And, and I'm like, wait, this should have been a fight. This should have been a fight. This should have been a big argument. This should have been, we're doing this. Like, this was not something that, that she wanted to do. It was not something I necessarily wanted to do. And this, but this was not a thing where we brought up, you submit and we're going and I'm going. This was a mutual decision, man. We wrestled this together. We went to God and really wrestled through this together. And I want to tell you, it was the greatest decision that we've ever made. 
The reason the church is the way it is today is because of that. The reason my soul is in the place it is. The reason our relationship and our family, God had such a redeeming effect through that decision that we made together. Men, it would have been so easy for me to say, all right, this is what we're doing. We're moving. Just get on board, babe. Just, you got to get on board. I'm the man. I'm leading. This is what we have to do. I'm the one who, I want to tackle, right? I want to move. I'm going to tackle this new project. I want to tame the wild. I want to go out there and run hard and just try to pull my wife along nine months pregnant or eight months pregnant. I've heard of foolish men doing this, rushing up on stage and saying, God's called me to go to the mission field. Really? What did he tell your wife? Well, I haven't talked to her yet. What? You haven't talked to your wife yet? Then the Holy Spirit didn't tell you that. The Holy Spirit works through both of you, not one of you. That's probably your emotions telling you that. One pastor that I knew moved his whole family to to Mexico to be missionaries when she hated it. And it was the worst 10 years he did it. Worst 10 years of their life. Almost destroyed their marriage. Because he, um, submit woman, we have to do this. God's calling us and he moves out. It's not the way God created marriage to function. Best friends. Iron sharpening iron. We talked about Michelangelo, or we talked about the, the, the statue of David, right? And we need to look for the blocks of marble. And, David, and he said, how did, you, how did you make the statue of David? I just chipped away everything that wasn't David. We talked, that's what we do for each other. Men, you don't just leave her behind. Women, you don't just take over. As sinners... We either want to turn our roles into a way to dominate the other person and control one another, or what we sometimes do, men, is we abdicate our roles altogether. We say, I'm not good at that. You do it. I don't really know anything about kids, so you, you do it. I want to stay home and play video games. I don't, want, I don't know anything about the Bible, so I can't lead you in that. You're going to have to lead me in that. Men... Listen, this is a church where God has called me to raise up men, to make disciples, and to plant churches. Scripture tells us every man in this church, you should aspire to the office of overseer. You should aspire to be an elder. You should aspire to be a deacon. You should aspire to be a man of God. I don't care how wicked your past has been. I don't care how lackadaisical, how lazy your past has been. If you accepted Christ as your Savior, you have the Spirit of God in you. And he's making you into the image of Christ. You are meant to lead, men. You're meant to lead a church. You're meant to lead your family. You're meant to lead a city. You are meant to initiate, to go after, to subdue creation. Women, you are meant to help. And God knows we need you to help. We need your help. It is not a second class role right there with us, helping us lead this church, helping us change the atmosphere of this city, helping us minister in missional communities. Help us love you. Help us love our kids. We need your help. This is what the roles of man and wife are for. Again, it goes right back to, we end with, this is the mega mysterion. This is the mega mystery that your relationship somehow points back to God. It points people to the gospel. Women, when you're submitting to your husband, you're showing the world what it looks like for Christ when he submitted to the Father. Philippians 2, 
though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not think equality with God was a thing to be grasped. So he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. He walked, became a man, and being even, oh man, took it to the extreme, became a, became a man, became sin, and died on a cross. Humility. Submission to God the Father. Ladies, when you submit to your husband, you're showing the world my identity is not in my husband or my relationship. My identity is in Christ. I am so loved by God the Father that I can submit here on earth knowing just like he did with Jesus, he glorified him to the highest position that when I'm in my eternal glory, when God saves my body and recreates all of creation, I will be glorified. Crazy. It's crazy. We, can get, we get to live with one eye on eternity. Men, when you lead, when you bring an issue up in front of your wife, when you try to shape her with the word, and when you try to counsel her, and you try to read and pray together, and you try to do these things, and you, and you watch the kids so she can go to the coffee shop and study her Bible, or she can go with the ladies and, and meet with a fight club, or go into whatever she's doing with the missionary community leaders, or all the, when you're making these sacrifices, this is you doing it with one eye on the gospel, one eye on new creation. I'm laying my life down for my wife. I'm trying to wash her with the water of the word so that when I present her back before God on the day of judgment, she'll be without blame, spotless. Your relationship is communicating a gospel to the world. Which one? A gospel of self or the gospel of grace, the gospel of Christ? If you're in this room today, I want you to hear, if you're in this room, you're, you are in this room, um, but you've never accepted Christ. You're not a follower of Christ. He has not become your Lord and the ruler of all life. Um, there is no Savior without Jesus being Lord. He runs everything or he runs nothing in your life. I want you to, I want you to hear this. Coming to Christ isn't just a get out of hell free card. Coming to Christ is 100% laying down your life, your desires, what you think is right, and taking his way. I lay my life down, and Jesus says he'll give us a new one. And that's what it is. And it's freeing. It's beautiful. It's great. It's glorious. It's pointing to new creation. It's bigger than the world can handle. Fifty. I'll tell you what. The statistics on this type of marriage... If you can keep one eye on new creation, 100% success rate in marriage. 100%. If both people can keep one eye on the gospel, one eye on new creation, no divorce is going to take place. I can tell you that. It's beautiful, man. Mutual submission, mutual sacrifice. As we come to the table today, I want us to think about that. Christ so submitted himself to the Father. He didn't just lay his life down figuratively. He laid his life down completely to the point of a brutal death 
to the point where the father turned his back on him. Separation that some of us will never know. And if you do not accept Christ, you will know that separation. Every idea and every depiction of hell you've ever thought of has been just a picture. Nothing is worse as the real thing. Absence of love, absence of light, absence of God. In the end, you'll get what you want. You don't want him to rule your life. You don't want God in your life. You want to be your own God. You'll get it. And it'll be a hell like nothing you could imagine. God, I thank you for saving us from that. Giving us eyes to see the beauty in the face of Christ. The glory of God in the face of Christ. That Christ humbled himself and submitted to the Father. And because he did that, we are now free to submit ourselves to one another. In missional community, in life. That we can take up the form of servant because our identity is not there. Our identity is in the Father. I pray that you would work miracles in the marriages of our church as we take communion, as we eat the body of Christ and drink the blood of Christ this morning. You would communicate grace to us that would enable us to lay our life down for our wife like you did for the church. You would, you would enable us to submit to our husbands like you submitted to the Father. Jesus, you are brilliant that you achieved this for us. You are amazing. Let us believe this gospel. Let us be changed by it. It's not just entryway into the kingdom, but it's every day in the kingdom. Let us continually believe the gospel. Let us continually return to this truth. I pray that you would be glorified in this, and this would be to our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.